Welcome back to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thanks for tuning in once again. This edition is made possible by CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high-quality mobility for all. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Fred. And joining us this week, we are so happy to welcome Missy Cummings, Professor of Engineering and Computer Science at George Mason University and former Senior Advisor for Safety at NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. She was also among the first female fighter pilots in the Navy. Thank you for taking time with us, Missy. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. So great having you, Missy. Well, from the New York Times this week, this headline, Car makers are pushing autonomous tech. This engineer wants limits. That engineer is you, and the concern here is that drivers, quoting the article, are putting too much trust in systems like Tesla's autopilot and regulators need to restrict their use. And this stems from a document you sent last fall to colleagues at NHTSA. You presented the findings yesterday, I think, at the University of Michigan. Dive into it for us, Missy. Well, thank you so much. Yes, yeah, so while I was at NHTSA, I really spent the bulk of my time working with the standard uh, standing general order. So this is the legal order that requires all the manufacturers to report uh, an autonomous vehicle crash if the autonomy is engaged within 24 hours. You can go to the website and read more all about it. And one of the things that I noticed just in looking at the crash data, which is available to everyone here listening, is that there seemed to be an issue with speed, meaning that I noticed that cars seemed to be speeding more often when they were on driving assist and then getting into crashes. So I basically started to look at that data and break it out. Uh, And indeed, you know, depending on how you want to parse the data, Uh, It is true that people just in general are getting into more crashes. Now, and when I say that into more crashes, I mean we're looking at the crash data set from 2020 and then looking at the SGO crash data set. So this is why you can compare them because it's apples to apples for crash data. Understanding that this is a very early study, the numbers are still very low, so we're not saying that there's any kind of statistical guarantee here, but there's certainly a trend where people are crashing more often when they're on ADAS systems, and it is likely because they're speeding. So people are setting the speeds. You know, I cannot tell you the number of times I saw a report where somebody had set 74 and a 65 uh, or 64 and a 55, right? Yeah, and Alan is raising his hands like, I do it too, right? I'm just as guilty. Oh, the cops aren't going to pull me over if I'm only nine miles above the speed limit. So it turns out, okay, so that's a very common thought in, in drivers' brains. And then they program it into their autopilot or super cruise or blue cruise, what have you. And then they relax and they go hands-free because they're told that they can go hands-free. And the problem with that, as opposed to a normal driver setting nine miles over the speed speed limit on on ACC, is I think people are really just checking out their brains. They're going hands-free and then they're going minds-free and sometimes feet-free. 
And then that's setting up a, a really bad dynamic where it's taking people far more, you know, even if it's only a couple of seconds more to intervene when something bad happens, two seconds at 74 miles per hour can be a killer. Yeah, back if we can back up just a second, you know, hands free versus feet free. You know, from from just my own personal experience without doing any tests with anybody else asking any questions. I find these things, the feet free business for me is a, seems to be a, a lot more valuable than the hands free business. Okay, because my problem with my feet may not be the problem with your feet or anybody else's feet. I may be the only driver that, that's that's like this. You know, the, the keeping the car going at a constant speed or the keeping the car at a constant separation. To me, is separation's not as tough. The speed is tough because I have to look down and see the speed or I have to, or I have to focus on what, what what is on my windshield as opposed to what's on, on the road ahead. And then I have to jiggle my foot to be able to keep do that control process. And I just find the fact that, I mean, my my love for intelligent cruise control is, I just said it. Now, of course, I said it nine over, as you mentioned. It's really bad, I know, but you know, I mean, I'm sorry, I apologize, but. Um, Please, New Jersey state troopers, don't listen to this podcast. Yeah, well, the, the, I mean, the, the poor state troopers, if they pulled everybody, if they pulled everybody over that was doing, right. nine, I mean, on 295 here, on, on New Jersey Turnpike, the speed limit's 55. You do 55 unless there's congestion on the turnpike. You're a men. I, I would claim you're a menace. So in some sense, you know, we have we have to get to what is the right speed but there's no doubt that to me there's no doubt what you've what you've what you've pointed out here is everybody's going a heck of a lot more faster now than they were pre-covid and we were going too fast pre-covid too but that's again just my own brain out there in the stream and you know without doing an academic data whatever i, I don't even know where i'd find it i mean we could go to enrics Enric sits there and collects it. They have collected it. I'm sure maybe somebody at the University of Maryland's already gone in there and, and basically drawn up the distributions and shown that, you know, those distributions are very different right now than 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 what they were pre-COVID. Maybe well, I, I, yeah, yeah, and you, I think you the, may have found that. Yeah, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. I think the big difference though here is there yes, everybody's speeding. Everybody without autonomous cars are speeding. In fact, speed is in the um, National Roadway Safety Strategy for the U.S. DOT. You know, it's highlighted as you, we've really got people's speed under control. So we know speed is a problem. But I think the difference between everybody speeding in a regular car and everybody speeding in an autonomous equipped car is that people in blue crews, super crews, they're being told they can go hands-free and hands-free equals mind-free. And the foot problem, it's not just that you're taking your foot off the gas. Look, I tow a retro RV. So I know that when I tow my RV, I need to be able to relax my foot. There's a difference between keeping your foot just behind the accelerator and then putting your foot somewhere else in the wheel well. So we see people are likely tucking their feet up underneath the seat 
kind of pushing their feet off to the side because they're told they're hands-free and they can relax. And I think people are really getting relaxed. And then the problem with that is when the autonomy fails, that people have to very quickly get to the right position. And we're seeing a lot of over-controlling, meaning people are, are jerking the steering wheel too much and at high speeds. You know, this is deadly. And then we're seeing people hit the accelerator instead of the brake. And so it suggests that people's feet are, you know, they're, they're having problems with proprioception. They don't recognize the position of their body in, in terms of where they think it is and where their foot should be because they're in an unusual position. Well, I, I think you point out you, you, you very poignantly the issue. I, with me, it's always been, I'll have to admit, is I keep my foot close. And, and in fact, very close because I'm scared to death of this stuff. And I have been from day one and continue to be today. And I think that, that people need to, to realize, as you've tried to point out here, that in fact, you know, you have to remain alert. These things, you just don't know when, when they're going to, who knows what. And, 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 um, and so I, I think that's what's at least part of what's really important about what you're pointing out here, you, putting your foot under, you know, up underneath or somewhere else or resting it on the window or who knows what. I mean, that's like, that's crazy stuff. But uh, let me chime in, Alan. If, if, if you can drive uh, feet free, pedal free, where do you put your feet that's safe? Because hovering over isn't very comfortable for very long, I, at least I don't think. If you put them on the floor, there's got to be a difference in reaction time, even if they're fairly nearby, right? Well, I totally agree. And I think this is the thing that we need to start thinking of is when you're supervising an autonomous car, there are really two distinct forms of readiness, physical readiness and mental readiness. And I, I agree with you that, you know, I do think most people in some kind of cruise control setting they keep their foot somewhere near the pedals. So indeed, I'm, I'm working on a study that's looking at this right now. Like how much reaction time does it add when you have people in various unusual positions inside of the driver's seat? But there's no question that, um, and you can see this because of the pedal confusion, that people are going, they're trying to do an emergency brake maneuver and they hit the accelerator. And of course, this only makes it worse. What are your thoughts, Missy? You're talking about this misbehavior, I guess, is, is the way Alan would, would typically characterize it. Um, not just with this, but with driving overall uh, during COVID, post-COVID, and the statistics that, that we've seen, the horrible statistics. Do you have any thoughts about uh, what's behind that? Well, you know, I think that that for many people, driving is an outlet. Indeed, I, I do wonder when we start talking about the autonomous vehicle market just in general, and I'm talking now about self-driving, not about ADAS, you know, people in America have a real love affair with their cars. And for them, it, it you know, for it may be that, that we're going to continue to struggle to get people to want to be an autonomous car because there is this emotional connection with their car. And, you know, I mean, 
the insurance statistics don't lie. Men speed in cars when they're young. Uh, you know, by the way, as a former fighter pilot, I have a lot of testosterone, and uh, I got a ton of tickets when I was young. Uh, I just, you know. Hey, no. I yeah. know. <laughs> I rem- you know, I mean, I've been there. I know what it feels like to be in a powerful car and to have that car kick in. So I, I don't even want to take that away from people because I think it's it's good that you have some, you know, feeling of power or whatever you want to call it. I think COVID, though, you know, gave people, there was just so much a lack of, of stimulation, if you will, because people were um, uh, forced to stay at home or what have you. But I, I think COVID only made the problem a little bit more obvious, which is a clear thing in our country. We actually do have too much of a love affair with our cars. When you look at Europe, their death rates are much lower, even though they have places like the Autobahn. The Germans love pointing out that they can still go fast without having high death rates, and it's, they're correct. I would also like to point out they have different type certifications for their vehicles, and they also have different driver certifications. Getting your driver's license in Germany is much harder than America. So, you know, I think there are real cultural differences. COVID aside, um, we still tend to have a almost a laissez-faire attitude and, and, it's, and an entitled sense with our cars. Cars reign supreme. Cars should be able to go wherever they want. And pedestrians and bicyclists come in a very, very distant second and third. Yeah, I, on those lines, I, you know, I don't know how cars are advertised in, in Europe, but the, the way cars are advertised here, if you, if you look at the Super Bowl commercials, I don't know what, what was one of them, you know, drive your car up a riverbed. Okay, they always show the cars never with any other cars around it. You're always going out to whatever and so on. And maybe in those places uh, with nobody else on the road, it might be okay to to speed. Um, In Germany, I think if, if you've driven, I'm sure you've driven on the Autobahn, one of the things that you do no more than once is pass anybody on the right. Okay, you just don't pass anybody on the right. In Jersey, the right lane is the fast lane. I, you know, it's 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 a completely the 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 amount of misbehavior that takes place. At least what I'd like to suggest is in the in the U.S. is just is just out of control with cars, and it's misbehavior at the wrong time. Maybe you should be able to do zero to sixty in one point two six seconds with nobody else on the road. And then it might be only your problem, but if there are some other folks on the road, then that, you know, the the system knows that. It sees the other cars, it sees that. And and maybe the, you know, that functionality needs to be turned off. Uh, You you, you don't get to it. I mean, there there are ways to deal with this. And I think in your article, you you tried to suggest some of these things, but you know, that's not necessarily going to be all that easy to put these constraints on, on the way these cars are sold to us. They're, they're, they're an expression of our freedom, our, our ability that's to do right. whatever the heck we want. And, and I mean, if, if that's what it is, then, then we're in trouble yes. here, right? I, I hear mean, you. We're, we're in trouble. Right. I hear you. And I've been, a, uh, I'm probably, you know, I've turned into a hall monitor, which I'm not the hall <laughs> monitor type. But neither um, am I. I, mean, <laughs> but I need the, to be monitored. I mean, go ahead. Go. Yeah. Go. So I'm telling you, look, look, 
I had the need for speed. I was a fighter pilot. I have gone almost the speed of sound, 25 feet above a desert floor. I know what that's like, right? So I get it. But at the same, at the same time, I'm telling you that we need to stop. And I'm a strong advocate for this. If we are going to let people use advanced driving assist systems that do lateral and longitudinal control, my new windmill that I'm tilting at is we need to stop letting people speed. Meaning if you turn on autopilot or super cruise or blue cruise, your car should legally do whatever the speed limit and whatever their area is. It, it is just phenomenal to me that, that we allow this knowing for sure that people are going to not be paying attention. Uh, and so we need to give people that buffer. And it's also, in keeping with the law. So, you know, and there is a fine line here. So I'm, you know, if you're going to be on cruise control, but you're going to drive, I'm saying we don't have to put that limit in. But if you're going to turn on the automation and we know you're going to go hands-free and minds-free, you should have to obey the law. The computer so, should have to obey the law. So if we do that, then I've sort of argued in this thing that now it's the responsibility of the OEM to do that and if it gets violated they're then responsible of both the safety and the legal operation of the vehicle and if it's un it becomes unsafe or it becomes illegal the ticket goes to them well i think they this pick is, it up it, yeah this is but okay. this is actually there's no liability here my students could insert this line of code in one day right yes the code is <laughs> When, when you turn on that system, the system knows what speed limit you're in because they have the mapped interstates, whatever. Yeah. It never goes faster than that, ever. Right. I, right. I, you know, we could talk about what it meant to pass or whatever, but you should not. And the, that is that it can be hard coded and there's no need to have a liability argument then. Well, Alan, you've yeah. talked before about the, not only that, but the, the cars could say, no, you may not tailgate. And, and these other misbehaviors could be certainly controlled by the vehicles. The technology's there right now, right? Yeah, it's been there for years. I mean, the, the breathalyzers have been there for how long that they could interlock so that if, in fact, you know, you were above whatever on a breathalyzer, the, the car wouldn't turn on. But, but as you, I think, pointed out in your article quite appropriately, Missy, I mean, to get the OEMs to do this because they're selling freedom to me. And all of a sudden, the constraint of freedom, does the market disappear? I mean, they would all have to do it. One, one, one company doesn't do it. I mean, everybody's going to buy theirs. No. no. I mean, how, how do we do this? Or do we, you know, have NHTSA come in there and say, you know, go, guys, reaction. Well, I just, you know, I mean, I think, look, if if you – being forced to do the speed limit when you're letting the car drive is a problem, then, you know, we need to sit back and think about what it is, what, what kind of, you know, bad behaviors we're encouraging if we don't make the cars obey the laws, you know, so, so are we saying then that, Let's just jump ahead 30 years and say we have a ton of autonomous cars running around and 
how are we going to do it then? Are we going to let the cars break the law or not break the law, right? Because if you let the cars break the law, then it does raise this question of liability. So the answer is going to have to be, and I think the self-driving car companies know this right now, you cannot program the cars to break the law. So asking people to, or telling people when you're in an ADAS, an advanced ADAS system, and the car's driving itself, it's not going to break the law. I, I would argue that that is a necessary step to get to the point where we will be in autonomous vehicles one day. So when, whenever I've gone down this road, you know, I end up with the issue that, of course, somebody brings out and said the speed limit is not a speed limit. The speed limit is at 85 percent of whatever the current, whatever the argument had been, has been historically for setting speed limits, blah, 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 blah. And, and in fact, that the speed limit is set with anticipation that it would be a human responding to this thing and knowing that humans sort of have a distribution associated with how, the, how well they tow the line or don't tow the line that the speed limits are artificially set low, expecting them to to go higher at the, you know, at the 90%, who knows what of the distribution or 95% of the distribution, and that that is actually the safe speed. Uh, you know, people make that argument. As opposed to a computer in which our students write the code, bam, I mean, that is a hard, less than or equal to, boom, you know, no problem. Do we need different rules for things that operate in a more deterministic sense of an algorithm as opposed to a stochastic sense of a human? What are your thoughts here Yes, I, you know, deal with I, that? You know, I think it, if we, if, if me saying, you know, your car should have to obey the law, and then the argument is, well, there's something wrong with the speed limits. Then fine, let's have another discussion about what are the appropriate speed limits on various roads and access points, right? So you, those two things can go together. But I think from at a fundamental level, we cannot have autonomous cars breaking the law because that is going to put the OEMs and anybody else who's operating this car, their legal liability is gonna go out the roof. So if we already know we're gonna to have to have the autonomous cars obey the laws, then why are we letting semi-autonomous cars where people are definitely not paying attention, uh, why are we letting them break the law? And if we wanna change what the law is, then let's have that discussion. I, I guess I'm trying to uh, ask the, the, the question of, is there a law for algorithms that is different than the law for people? Algorithms are different than people, okay? Even though who knows what wants to build or whatever, and uh, let's not go there. But, you know, we, you know, we, we are stochastic entities, whereas I'll claim that, Algorithm is a deterministic entity. It is beam, 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 beam. I mean, we have a whole legal system that deals with the nuances of whatever and so on, and 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 where there, there it deals with the gray area of human beings, human being, human behavior. 
and and to me i i think that's there's an there's an enormous there's an enormous struggle here because of course you know the the argument that that gets gets thrown to me when i try to make arguments as as you're making is that oh oh my goodness it's going to be uh, you're you're going to be even more of a safety threat going the speed limit than you are um you know speeding at least that's Uh, the argument i end up yeah i i do not think which is a tough question go go missy yes i don't think i mean i i think this is a non-argument first of all speed limits are not set based on whether the driver is a, a computer or a human speed limits are set because in theory there's a kinetic consequence of having a crash at that point and the urban density, the obstacle density, if you will, right? So this is why around schools, we have 25 miles an hour or less. And on highways, you can 75, you know, maybe even 80 or more in other places, right? Because the risk of a crash is reflected in the speed limit. So that shouldn't change whether or not you are in a driverless car or a drivered car. Now, we may want to ask, so if we get to the point where there are so many cars that are autonomous and, you know, and I'm talking way ahead in the future, that we might be able to safely raise the speed limit because that risk of having a crash has gone way down, then fine. Indeed, there's, you know, there's an entire field of risk analysis where people look at these things, right? So that answer is not now. I would, I I think I and every other person would be open to, well, once the vehicles get established and we can have some ideas of risk. But indeed, this is why the standing general order was conceptualized is so we could start to get an idea of the risk. And what it has shown me, at least, is that you are at risk. If you are in an autonomous uh, or a car with an advanced driving assist system, you are at more of a risk to either be killed or injured in a crash than you are in a regular car, primarily because you're speeding. Yeah, I, and, and again, no, no argument against that. I, I think that's great, and I, I think it's, it's wonderful that you've put out, you've put it out so succinctly. You know, the, the data, the, the, and the information that shows that. And I guess my only other comment on that is, I don't want to think about when all these vehicles are going to be out there like this because I'm not going to live that long. So I'm not going to see it. And so since I only care about what I have a potential of seeing, <laughs> uh, our our challenge right now is getting started with all of this. Our challenge is getting through the initial piece of which we aren't all killing ourselves with this stuff and, and just trying to get it started. And I think what you pointed out is that, my goodness, uh, our behavior with this is is just not not good. And and we need to pipe it back. So that's that's sort of what I appreciated about about what you presented. If if I could go to to an, sort of another question, um, uh, the uh, the analog brakes and the the um, uh, stability control that has been in cars since at least the stability control has been mandated in 2012. If that correct and all new vehicles built since 2012 
And that's essentially not turn offable. I guess you can go in there somehow and and turn it off, but it's not generally, it's on all the time. Is there is there anything that we can learn as to the success that that from the success of NHTSA in in implementing the uh, that system to then apply it to the intelligent cruise control systems? Was there any discussions about that when you were in NHTSA or did that come up? Because to me, it seems, you know, to me, that's that's one of these wonderful systems that in fact um, kicks in when I'm misbehaving and saves my butt. At least that's what what I how I generally uh, look at stability control. If I start going around the curve too fast, it who knows what it figures it out that it I'm losing my rear end and it does this and does that and I don't even know what it does, and apparently works like heck and keeps me from losing going out of control. And that's you know that's to me that's a wonderful system, automated system that it actually goes against what I want to do. I want to go fast around the corner. Kicks in and says, hey, Alan, back off. I'm going to save your butt. And after it saves my butt, I'm there. Boy, am I happy. Which is what I would want out of automated emergency, uh, out of these advanced driver assistances, especially the emergency braking systems, which we'll get to and discuss in a minute because we, are, we haven't gotten there yet. But if I can take you there and you don't mind discussing these things. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I think, first of all, again, as a person who drives, uh, pulls a trailer, um, stability control has saved my butt several times. So I, I don't think that there's a big debate over whether or not stability control is good or not, or we should have it or not. I think the thing about stability control is for people that they must, must remember is Stability control is still not going to be able to defy the laws of physics. And I do wonder if people then start to become very sloppy drivers because they think that the car is going to be able to get them out of lots of situations. As far as like what can NHTSA do about it, I'm not, I'm not aware of any specific programs that are focused on stability traction control. I do think that we should probably have a formal research study in the intersection of autonomous control and stability control, because it's not clear in my mind that I don't know how companies are designing these programs, but are these systems talking to each other or are they completely independent? Uh, because I do worry that if you have a planning system that feels like it needs to put the car in a particular configuration, but it doesn't understand how the stability and traction control program may or may not um, be sensing independently that these two systems could come into conflict. So, you know, maybe there are other people smarter than me who who can actually speak more definitively on this, but I do think we probably need to examine that intersection. Well, it's as if we almost practice this, Missy, but 
let me see if I can take it one step further than you did. Do the, do the intelligent cruise control systems talk to the emergency braking systems? I mean, I, I hear I don't you, think, and this I don't think they do. And I, I agree. Think that is tragic. Okay? I agree. And 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 what I the, the way I point this this out is that if I'm using my intelligent cruise control and I tap my brakes, it turns it off. It turns the whole thing off, and I'm saying to myself, "Well, what if I didn't tap the brake enough?" What if the system thinks that I should be braking harder? It's gone out and said, hey, Alan, you tapped your brakes. See ya. It's all on you. Right. Which is not what I, I wanted to stop my, I think, at least in my, I may be, the, again, the only guy in the world who taps his brakes that wants to stop accelerating. But I want to stop accelerating, not stop braking harder. I don't even know if I need to brake harder or not. And darn it, don't don't then throw me overboard and say, hey, you're on your own guy. And then I'm going to wait until I'm 1.6 seconds to collision, and then I'm going to have all hell break loose and tighten boom to keep me from booming when the whole thing was progressing out for the last five seconds. I mean, yes. you know, it, it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. And and you point out you, you point a very good connection that all this should also be in case I'm losing my rear end too. So this whole thing, I mean the the car companies, the OEMs need to get a I mean, think about in your in your fighter pilot, as a fighter pilot, all these systems were all independent systems that didn't talk to each other. You couldn't have done Mach one at twenty five feet, sorry. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I've never been there. I don't know what I'm talking about. Sorry, Missy. Well, I, I think that um, you need to. I think this is. These are complicated systems integration issues. Ooh. That I think we're we're still just we're very. I, I think we're in a very immature place in terms of automotive systems. Um, you know, that we will eventually figure out how to do this integration. But, yes, I am not entirely sure that the AEB traction control autonomous drive systems are at the right level of at least awareness of each other. Forget one driving the other. Uh, right now I'm just talking about, you know, making sure that you understand the relationship between those three systems. I think we're still really at a very immature place. Well, I see. Let me let me ask you on on the issue that you talked about in, in this article about uh, people essentially checking out when they're using the advanced cruise control. Uh, car makers, several have promoted that they do have driver monitoring systems. Are they not working as as intended, or what's the status of that? Is anybody doing it right? I, I think that's a great question. Um, I, you know, this is not a commercial for GM Super Cruise other than I've been in it. I've driven it. I liked it. I thought they had a really good um, human machine interaction set up there. So, uh, you know, I think me personally, I think the combination of putting your hands on a steering wheel, making sure your hands are there and making sure your, your head and eyes are face forward, 
that's probably the best we're going to be able to do until um, we can potentially figure out better technologies that are more reliable. But I, I just want to, to make sure people understand that's, that's just kind of a Band-Aid on the problem because just because your head is face forward and your eyes are face forward, eh, you know, I mean, there's still a lot of latitude in where, where your attention can be. And indeed, this has nothing to say about where your feet are, which we've established as a, is also a problem. So, you know, when you're told you can be hands-free, that's what I'm, I try to explain to people is that that equals mind-free. And, you know, if, if you're on a long car drive and you've set everything up and you're resting one hand on the steering wheel and you're just kind of thinking about, oh, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? Oh, I got into a bad fight with my girlfriend or boyfriend last night and you really start rehearsing what it is that happened and what you're going to say to that. I mean, your eyes can be on the road and that these systems will not be able to detect that your brain is not engaged. And so I think that we are at this place in technology development where we, we are up against the cognitive limits of humans. You can not pay attention and you will not pay attention if you think the car is doing a good enough job, even if your eyes are on the road. Well, um, and it magnifies the inattentiveness that just everyday drivers without these technologies are so often guilty of. Oh, yeah. I mean, by the way, that's not to say that uh, obviously distraction is a huge problem. Yeah, I, I think I think what what at least I think what what you're saying, Missy, is because. It's, 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 it's a combinatorial of these things because, in fact, I have this thing, I'm going to go faster. And all of a sudden, if it kicks you into the, I'm going to go faster, guess what? You're essentially, you're screwed. Okay? Yes. Because all of a sudden, now you're on that slippery slope and you are, you're basically done. I mean, the, 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 what I like about, uh, about um, the stability control is the fact that it's on all the time. And I really don't know that it's on all the time. And I really don't even know that it's going to save me. But all of a sudden, if I do something that takes me out of the envelope of where I'm safe, it tries to bail me out. And in some sense, that's why, you know, from the beginning, I think I've tried to call these things safe driving cars. They're cars that we drive, but have these systems in case somehow we, you know, uh, goof up or something that are sitting there watching us but know the right thing to do and don't let us do the wrong thing if it's really going to be a wrong thing. It's not just crossing a line. I can cross a double line if there's no car coming the other way. What's the big deal? But if there's a car coming the other way, that darn thing shouldn't let me do it. It's sort of an argument that I make, of course I shouldn't go in, but who knows? And it just then, every time I cross a double line when there's nobody coming and because I had to go around somebody that's triple parked or something like that, the thing's buzzing at me, guess what that does? It makes me turn the darn thing off. But it was smart enough to know that that was okay. So it shouldn't have beeped. 
And so I think the, the OEMs need to be a heck of a lot smarter in these things. It's nice that they've gone out there and developed on their own intelligent cruise control and developed on their own automated emergency braking, but they haven't gone far enough. They haven't integrated these things. They really haven't made it so that, in fact, they're really focused on on doing their thing when they should be doing their thing and taking all the information that they really do have and doing it. They haven't gone far enough. They were, were too early is kind of what I, I would like to claim. And in fact, I, I agree with you. It shouldn't let us speed. I guess we should have a trade-off. We want to go fast. It's on me. Misty's, Misty, as a fighter pilot, has been shot at, I think, for suggesting these types of things, has been fighting that battle. I know. So I know. Is, is, it, is it winnable, Misty? I mean, the idea of, of us owning cars that are going to say, no, you may not speed, this is the, et cetera. Uh, no, you, you may know, not tailgate. I mean, it's a it's a heavy sigh. You know, I mean, I, is it, it, from a technology standpoint, it's easy. Yeah. From a policy standpoint, it's hard, right? Because the instant you start talking about speed limits, and you can just look at the battle that FMCSA is having right now over putting speed limiters on trucks. So, you know, people in America don't want to have their any kind of their freedoms curtailed in any way. So I, you know, I'm on the fence about this. Like, I, I think it's winnable. But I think at some point how it's going to be winnable is going to be a combination of maybe regulatory action, but also judicial action. And by that, I mean, at some point, the lawsuits are going to start becoming too much for the OEMs. And I have to tell you, like, I mean, I have a waiting list of lawyers. I cannot do it all. I, I'd like to help people, you know, when they've had a very serious accident. But there are so many lawsuits pending against Tesla and other manufacturers that at some point, even, you know, Elon Musk's luck is not going to hold because eventually these are going to start taking traction. And I think at some point the manufacturers are going to have to realize that either they need to change something or their liability is going to continue to grow um, because the systems aren't able to at least prevent or, or mitigate driver abuses. We'll see. I mean, that's the, both of those, both the regulatory and the judicial component of what I'm talking about take a long time uh, so I don't expect to see any action on this anytime soon. But I do think that eventually the combination of those two things will, will cause some change. Well, I, I have to agree with you on, on that also, Missy, because, you know, I argue in class and in class, I argue a bunch of stuff that I don't bother go out and collect data on. So therefore, I'm, you know, I really shouldn't be arguing in class, but it's my class. So I just do it. Um, analog breaks. Beginning of analog breaks, all kinds of whatever came out about it. Oh, you know, I tried to break. I put I pushed hard on that brake and it just wouldn't do it. It just, it, 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 it,
all the litigation pieces. Why? Because the system actually worked better. Okay, and I think the same thing has happened with respect to the to to the stability control. Oh my goodness, this thing kicked in, and it was the fault of my crash. No, it's gone. It's it's been able to go through that. I think what has happened, and what you're pointing out now with respect to the intelligent cruise control and the automated emergency braking system and the fact that they don't talk to each other and so on and so forth is probably going to come out to force to to actually show that in fact these don't they do induce what you what you suggest and they are liable and i think the oems are going to have to make them better so that they don't get themselves into that piece and that's what will force them to do that and force them to integrate it. I mean, I even have one more that, that I'd like to discuss with you. Some vehicles have been accused of crashing into other vehicles that are stationary with flashing lights in the road ahead. Did you, it, it, Nitsa, when you were dealing with some of these things, did you ever, is it true that these systems classify objects ahead as either moving or stationary? And if they're stationary, they, they explicitly disregard them. So I, while I was at NHTSA, I didn't participate on any of the Tesla-specific investigations. Well, I didn't Tesla mention Tesla, yeah. but you well, know, I didn't yeah. use the word. But yes, okay. go ahead. But I yeah, will. Go, yeah, sure, sure. No, and I, I will, will too. I, I don't mind using it. Uh, so, but I think the question is more general. So the, there, it is fundamentally what can sensors, quote unquote, see and the way that radar works is that it's basically looking for a Doppler frequency shift. And to get that, it needs movement uh, to, to quote unquote, see something. So Tesla's problems with stationary vehicles are all cars problems with stationary vehicles, meaning no car using radar um, they're all going to be subject to this kind of issue. So what, what do we do then is we try to figure out how to use other sensors uh, to potentially detect those objects. And this is where vision could be one of those. LIDAR could be one of those. And, and neither one of those are perfect either. So I think that this is fundamentally just it's it's the conundrum of perception is you put it, all these sensors in to try to paint the most comprehensive world model thus upon which you make decisions. Uh, stationary cars present problems for sure for radar. You try to fill the gap with other sensors. Now, uh, are they being misclassified? Um, you know, the, the radar, LIDAR, camera, you know, there's the detection problem first. Is something there? And the second problem is, then what is it? It's not entirely clear to me that, you know, for the, if we're talking about emergency vehicles with lights, 
I, I don't know because I didn't participate on in the investigation, but if you're not being detected, you can never get to the classification problem. So one would presume it's relatively easy to classify a first responder vehicle, you know, because they do have a different configuration for most cars. That's why they're designed that way. But if you're not detecting them, then it's, you know, it's a moot point. Well, I, I guess in, in my dabbling in this, and of course I've only dabbled because <laughs> that's all I've ever done is dabble. You know, if you take a scene ahead, you identify objects, and the first thing you want to do is put a position vector, velocity vector, acceleration vector, jerk vector, da da da, as many derivatives as you can put on that darn thing. Okay, and the key thing of that is is that is that of course the velocity vector is relative to your nose, and in fact, you know, I, I, at least I argue to my students that that. I can determine that pretty, I can do that with, with, with stereo. I can do it, do it with a lot of things. And as long as, if I'm following something that is, that is not stationary and I'm going at some speed, oh my goodness, it, it'll plow through anything ahead. I just stay behind it. I'm not going to hit anything. I mean, that's vehicle follower is almost trivial to do. Okay. If the object is stationary ahead, in other words, it's it's I'm approaching it at my velocity, at my speed, which I know very well. I mean, with who knows? I mean, I know that very well. Then I have a conundrum. I, I, I can say, that, can I pass under it or can I pass over it? Otherwise, I'm going to hit it. And it, and as I drive down the road. Pennsylvania Turnpike, New Jersey Turnpike, Cleveland Lane or whatever. There are all these stationary objects on the road ahead. Canopy of trees, overpass, traffic light, traffic signs, all the time. And, and these sensors pick them up and label them as, hey, I'm a pro, that's a stationary object. It's real world velocity is zero. And somehow I think that buried in that code is, oh my goodness, forget about it. I'm going around a curve and ahead of me is the guardrail that protects me from going off the side. It's picking that sucker up. And guess what? It's it labels it as stationary or at least it should. Yet it disregards it. I have not seen in any of the animation, and you can correct me if, if I'm wrong here, I've not seen in any of the animations that I've seen of any of these systems that have the big screens in the car that show you what the heck's coming on, whether it's Waymo or Shmaymo or Baymo or who knows ho. I've never seen an overpass depicted on that image. Haven't yeah, these cars I mean, ever I, passed under an overpass? Yeah, I mean, they I do. Think they explicitly disregard it. I accuse yes. them of, in their code, explicitly disregarding them because they assume they can pass underneath it. I, I think, oh. I, well, I, I think that you're right. 
whoa, I mean, talk about a, a did you, did any, is any, <laughs> be, I, I asked Nat Buse, and I'm asking you because Nat was at NHTSA too. I keep asking anybody that, I don't know that many people at NHTSA, has, has anybody at NHTSA actually really looked at this as to whether or not in their code, you know, an object I, labeled as stationary gets, you know, I'm only going to use it for, for SLAM to be able to figure out where I am. Because it has to pick those things out because otherwise, you know, it uses SLAM to do all that junk. No, oh, well, I, mean, I, I can't. I'm I can't. Sorry. Well, I mean, I hear you. I can't say. I don't. I, I mean, I don't okay. know. All right. I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe somebody will watch our discussion all right now and you're so stupid. Of course, they would. And I, I hope so. Well, I think I read through this stuff from the Elaine Herzberg crash. Okay. And in that Elaine Herzberg, they identified an object as stationary six seconds before the crash. That system. What happened? Oh, it must not be there. Da, 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 restart. Da, 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 throw da, 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 it's not there. Da, 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 da. It's stationary. Boom. And I think I don't know if that's the source of the of the of the problem, but my goodness, come on. Well, I, I mean, I think being able to correctly label images, whether or not it's stationary, <laughs> is it something, what is it? I mean, this is just the fundamental problem with computer vision that that even if it is augmented by other sensors, ensuring that you know what it is with the various probabilities, you know, if and if you are a company that basically rank weights the probabilities and then everything below 50% is going to be rejected. You know, I mean, there are decisions that I think could be brought into question then. You shouldn't be in business if you're doing that. I think a you lot know, of them you, are. You know, if, if it's not fluttering and it's ahead of you, you better not hit it. And if it's fluttering, maybe it doesn't have any mass. But come on. I mean, these aren't, these aren't, these aren't, and, and if you put it in your deep learning, for which you don't even know why in the heck it's doing anything, who knows? And that's real dangerous. They hate me. <laughs> no, it is. Well, I mean, not I as just, much as they hate me. It, it couldn't be. It couldn't be that. No, <laughs> Missy. Uh, it, it's look. My wife, Elizabeth and I were talking about you this morning. I mean, it's just what what you've gone through. We're 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 such fans of yours. You can't believe it. Anyway, um, we certainly thank you for what you what you're doing, what you've done. Great article in the New York Times. Good place for it. Nice that Cade put it together and put it out there. You know, um, keep fighting the good fight. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Look, it's, let's, it's, let's it's, turn it's, to a couple of other it's, headlines. It's, quickly, but but Alan, it's all perhaps. about trying to provide better mobility for folks and 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 to try to have them live through it. I mean, you know, driving is still a privilege, not a right, and you shouldn't be able to be out there just whacking people and yourself. I mean, it's you know, it really is in the end pretty darn simple. Yes, Fred. <laughs> 
Let's, let's turn to some other headlines quickly, I think, be, be from the latest Smart Driving Cars newsletter. Zooks, owned by Amazon, has carried passengers on public roads for the first time, or staffers, in Foster City, California. The Zooks vehicles are autonomous, don't have steering wheels or manual controls at all. You're quoted, Alan, in the Dallas Express on this story. <laughs> yeah, they asked me for a quote. I think it's great. Okay. They don't point out in there they have an attendant. They better have an attendant. I'm sure they do. Okay. They have to have an attendant. I mean, absolutely. And I'm sure they do. And and the fact that, that they did put together a what I call a special purpose vehicle that is really focused on trying to provide mobility to folks, not that any of us would buy it, but to provide mobility to folks who desperately need good mobility. And, and do it in in potentially affordable way in a very constrained operational design domain that, that both you know serves the societal good is I applaud them and I invite them to come to Jersey. I mean the, the, the number of people that don't have access to a car and really need the opportunity to not necessarily go very far. And certainly not to go to Newark Airport. I mean, come on, you know, first of all, there's a train that goes to Newark Airport. Secondly, you know, most of the people that go to Newark Airport, you know, have their own car and can afford it. So anyway, but anyway, that's, that's, that's where, <laughs> yes, we know where we're coming from on that one, Fred, right? We do. You have a link to another video from Rob Maurer at Tesla Daily talking about a leak of Tesla's next-gen FSD hardware and uh, he he has uh, some pretty detailed uh postings yeah i mean you know they're they're uh, you know we can complain about about the name of the darn thing which is atrocious uh the fact that you know it it is trying to address this enormously challenging pro- uh, problem of driving safely and the issue is, is, you know, where do you want to do it? And what kind of computer hardware and, and software do you need to do it? And the, this whole argument, the whole focus on trying to do it everywhere is like goofy. Why don't you do it somewhere where it could provide some good and get it to work there? And then let's move to the next step. Okay, and, and 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 to do it somewhere where it can provide some good under all the proper constraints and so on. No speeding, you know, no speeding. It, in most places, people want to go two, three, four miles. They don't need to go 900 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour. And, you know, let's get this thing started so that we, you know, after the 200 billion or whatever's been spent on the technology we we deliver some societal good out of this anyway only one person among us has gone over 900 miles an hour but <laughs> oh, no, I, I did have one concert two concert flights but you no know, okay <laughs> our friend ken pyle at vod tv has posted a pretty comprehensive video of autonomous shuttles at uh, january ces and as usual, Ken has a pretty good summary here. Yeah, so if people want to, you know, get a good feeling as to what was promoted um, at CES, I, I think he did, he did a nice job with that. 
And another friend, Brad Templeton, has launched a RoboCars podcast. Uh, the more discussion here, the better, I suppose. Yeah, I huh? guess he doesn't. He th- must think we don't do a good job, so he has to go and, <laughs> you know, whatever. But, you know, absolutely great. You know, Brad asks ask good questions. He's certainly out there trying to do the right thing. And Alan, you are the leadoff speaker for MIT's Mobility Forum, kicking off virtually tomorrow. Uh, Your topic, envisioning profitable autonomous transit networks. Congratulations, Alan. Well, yeah, I guess it's nice that I was invited. As as we know, you know, the the approach that we've taken for all these years is to try to provide some mobility out of this and and really mobility. at least where we've ended up is realizing there's a real, there's an enormous divide between the haves and the have-nots. Enormous. I mean, you know, I can just walk out the kitchen door, hop in a car, and go whenever I want. To, you know, almost wherever I want to go because I do it for myself. If I had to charge myself or something like that, I mean, it'd be enormously expensive. If you have to have a chauffeur, I mean, unless you make a lot of money, it's enormously expensive. But of course, the argument's been is if we can, you know, do it with a computer and the computer can, it behaves as Moore's law, then it, at least the thought is, the, its cost goes to zero. And, and, and now you can afford to maybe be able to give mobility, at least in some places, to everyone for, at, at a cost that's almost nothing. And then if you want to make it nothing, then you go subsidize that and make the price nothing or make the price whatever you want. And you might even make money. Wouldn't it be amazing if transit made money? It, I mean, it, right now, the, the whole, the whole, it only serves 3% of the, of the nation's 1.1 billion trips a day. And each one of those things is subsidized at least, what, 75% or that. Luckily, it's not more. Otherwise, we'd be really bankrupt. And it's not because people haven't wanted to do it. Very bright people. My goodness, I spent career trying to do it. Maybe not the brightest guy. And it <laughs> just can't do it. If you have to pay for somebody to wait for you and then take you, that's expensive. The reason why a cab ride from JFK is so darn expensive is some poor cabbie had to wait in the in the bullpen out there for who knows what, three hours to get a ride. And he or she deserves to make a make a living wage. That computer that Tesla and others are developing and, and NVIDIA and all the others, it might be expensive today. GPS receivers were $80,000 back in a day. Now they're 80 cents. I don't know. <laughs> That's what, we'll, well talk about a, li- a couple of those things. Right. Hopefully everybody will like boo me and you know, grill me and whatever, and I'll get beat up, and I hope so anyway. Well, there's a link in the newsletter. Uh, anybody can attend. Yeah, you can register absolutely. for it. Again, it's virtual. 
There's more info also at mobilityinitiative.mit.edu slash events. We want to thank uh, Missy for spending time with us and for all the terrific work that you're doing, Missy. We can't thank you enough. can't thank you enough, actually. And, and the experience you got by actually going into the lines then and being there, um, I've never done that. I've just all I've stayed in the Princeton bubble and – and, and been protected and don't have any sense of what reality is and whatever, but so nice to have you. Well, thank you so much. And um, I was, I was glad to do it. I learned a lot. I really appreciated my time at NHTSA and um, you know, I think people need to appreciate that, you know, regulatory agencies are, they're meant to move slowly on purpose uh, which is not always a bad thing. So I think that we're really kind of looking at a potential step change in how U.S. regulators approach anything with, with autonomy in it. And I think that's it's still a big, wide open space. Thank you, Missy. Well, thank you to CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, for helping to make this podcast possible. CARTS is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high-quality mobility for all. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Amazon, Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcasts from. Your smart speaker can play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching. Please continue to stay safe. Thank you so much, Missy.